Hey everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. Welcome to part two of our interview with Mark Endert, mixer and producer for plenty of great hits, things done by Gavin DeGraw, Train, Maroon 5, Fiona Apple. I mean, just go to his website and you'll see the huge list of great clients. Really talented guy, really knowledgeable, really fun. Uh, We got to sit down and have a great talk, ask him some questions about producing and mixing and engineering things he uses, gear, as well as just more artistic choices and, you know, how he chooses things and why as opposed to just, you know, oh, well, uh, it's a good mic, it sounds good, you know, like more more things along those lines. So, hope you enjoy. This is part two and let's get to the interview. We were kind of talking about committing to things. Do you, do you like to track with EQ and compression and effects? Do you like to do that on your your personal productions, the ones that you work on? I definitely do. I definitely do because ultimately I'm probably the one who's going to be mixing it. So I don't have a ton of work at the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) But that's almost how you get the the vision to start it early for the song. And and ultimately if something were to happen, you say, you know what? I'm too exhausted. I would love to pass this on to another mixer that I like, you know, you'd want to give them your best. You'd want to say, okay, here's the best focus I have as of net right now, you know, and let's see if we can, put the icing on the cake so to speak but so i definitely am a fan of i eq and compress pretty much everything because as good as mics are and as good as digital is today sometimes just the, the raw you know input to a mic or something is often quite different than that even how it sounds naturally so yeah so when you're engineering something do you have like a specific way that you get that you like to do drums that in t- to get to get a big sound because I know one of the hardest things for people in smaller spaces is to get big drums right right um, because they're not in a big room and part of that big drum sound is the big room. Do you have a certain method for you know like a go to way to just say no I, you know I like this uh, I like the drums to be this way. Do you find it to be more like picking a good room or picking a good kit or, you know, how do you go about starting out the, the big endeavor of getting big rock drums? For, well, for big rock drums, one of my tricks, I guess you could say, for making an acoustic space that's small sound bigger than it is, is um, if you have compressors that you can really have a quick release, and of course in digital, you know, all the people that are working in a digital format have plenty yeah. uh, options of compressors that have fast releases. And what happens is when you get a fast release, it takes the attack down of the actual transient of whatever the, you know, the drum that you're hitting is, and then it quickly releases and you get the room. The room is left over. So um, being able to do that, I kind of, I make it pump to the tempo of the song. So I time it to the actual tempo of the song. Mm -hmm. And you can tell just by watching the meters. For me, it was tube tech tube tech stuff but you can tell if you're on the digital stuff you can yeah. watch them and as they're releasing in time like to an eighth note or something mm-hmm. you'll start to hear the room more and more in the track and it gets less cluttered too by the way so it starts to pump along with the tempo and it's really nice and i've done it on every mix i've ever done just because i like to you i like to hear the room as an ambient space rather than a trashy space you know and it, it can get trashy pretty pretty quickly yeah so Absolutely. Um, so when you're when you're trying to balance the drums, you know you've got them recorded and and you're working with uh, trying to figure out, you know, especially if you're working with a big session, you got thirty, you know, thirty tracks of drums. Um, you know, ha- do you prefer using a lot more of the room mics, or especially if you've been recording in a good studio, or do you like to use more like getting the close mics to sound good? How do you start the process of balancing a drum? Start with the overheads or kick, right? 
For me, um, I always check the overheads first because I used to record overheads like the whole kit, and then mm -hmm. I used to fill in, you know, with the kick and snare, mm -hmm. and then add the rooms in and anything. If I wanted a little more hat, I used to add that in. But I, I used to start with the overheads. Some people these days they really like to use the overheads only as the symbols. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of that because I feel like a lot of the tone of the kit goes away, and I notice that in toms a lot. You know, where the tone yeah. of the tom. So I am a fan of overheads. If someone does like to filter like high pass filter yeah. uh their overheads where you're not getting a lot of a lot of the kick or tone of the toms in there then i go for the rooms and see what's in there and i do love messing with the overheads in the rooms first because we kind of know what the direct kick and snare are going to sound like you know um, yeah. when you have a specifically a drummer that plays with some grace and has like a lot of <clears throat> little intricacies ghost notes and exactly. all that jazz you're going to only really get that in the rooms i mean really really like yeah. that's where it all starts to come out and quite honestly i think that's what differentiates when people are using sound library too you know as opposed to real playing mm -hmm. you know as, as fun as sound library stuff can sound phenomenal where you're like wow these rooms sound great man this <laughs> yeah Chicken snare sounds great, and what happens is you get to the part where you're supposed to be playing the little grace notes in between. You're like, God, but it just doesn't have the vibe of the of the one we did at the rehearsal room, which you know, yeah, <laughs> had all the the had all the little intricacies that you're like, this is what really makes it yeah. an instrument. It's not. It's still an instrument, and the drum kit is should be treated like an instrument, not like a you know, just like a hitting random, yeah, random collection of sounds. Yeah, it's not just a timekeeper. Yeah, it's like Steve Gett, I remember watching some recordings of him playing with various groups, and, and gosh, the dynamics on his drums are just nuts, you know, playing so quiet, it's like you can't even, you almost couldn't even hear it. And, but he's still hitting it in perfect time, still 16th yeah. notes, hardly even touching the heads, and it's like, oh my gosh, I mean, I think so many drummers just miss that now, and I'm lucky enough to have this session drummer come in and, you know, say like, man, I just really want, you know, uh, it's, it's funny, uh... I don't know how if you were involved at all in any of the other Train albums other than this most recent one. Um, I but, was, but the drumming on some of those, well, Brandon O'Brien, right? He's your, yeah. oh my God, those are great. Yeah, and, and uh, one of my favorite songs from Train in terms of drumming is that song, Get Away. You know that uh, one? Totally. And and it's because of all those ghosts. It's it's because yeah. of all the, you know, do, do, it's all those little, those little in betweens that, and that just make it for me. And it's just, it's just, it, it is finesse, you know. It's like because I can't imagine get away if the drums were played super straight. Um, it just wouldn't be the same. Um, totally. Uh, I'd like to talk about Train for a little bit because that, I mean, the album's getting really popular. Um, I'm actually, it's funny. Uh, um, I'm actually going to see Train and Maroon Five on their tour. I'm so happy for them actually, and it, it actually gives me a lot of faith in the music industry especially for people you know those bands that you know maybe they're they're a little bit older you know maybe they are over 40 can they still make great music and you know appeal to people and the answer is definitely yes so i'm so happy that yeah i'm really happy for train it's heck to those guys patrick especially <laughs> for me being a musician hearing all the little um i guess it's we're, we're like they're intentional with the way they play you know they're not they're not doing things randomly um it seems like the drum beats and things like that, it's like they're playing them that way on purpose. They, they didn't just randomly say, hey, well, maybe just play whatever in the verse. You oh, know? yeah. And that's, that's to me, is something that really separates them, is that the, the guitar playing, for example, might not be all that 
intricate or comp- or uh, you know impressive to the guy who's trying to l- sit around and learn songs on guitar so he can get better. You know he's a good guitar player because he's not crowding the vocals at all. He's fitting perfectly with the with the melodies, and you know you remember the lines. Um, that to me is a big thing. Like the beginning of um, if it's love. That guitar line. I mean, I, I hear that in my sleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it, it's like that to me is more important than having somebody come in and just wail away, and I don't remember a single note. <laughs> yeah. Were, were you involved at all in the, in the production of in the engineering or production of it? No, no, not really. Um, I we did do some other alternate versions for radio that they did ask for a little bit more stuff, but on the on the album, no. It's pretty much mixing. We did do quite a bit at the mix stage, but um, they were in good hands with um, a couple of producers. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great... And to say they're commercial, I mean, when you think of Drops of Jupiter, and okay, yes, that is a massive commercial hit. Yeah, just yeah. massive. But to sit there and say, you know, you know, did you get a chance to dance along the line of the day? Did you find yourself out there? Like, did you have fun finding yourself out there? And, hey, what about me? You know, I'll be here. Exactly, like, yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> That's that's what I'm telling. I mean, my friends give me a hard time because, and then I even have one friend who, and uh, he's like, "Oh man, they're just too country for me." I'm like, "You got to be joking me! <laughs> like, give me a break!" Um, and you know, but you know, I mean, I love Train. I love the music. One of the things I really like about the mixing part of it, or at least the the production, or, or whatever it might be, um, and and you know, obviously, what it is, is that. It always did sound like Train, even though, I mean, what's it been, like like seven years or six? I don't even know how long it's been since their last, you know, quote, popular stuff. Right. Um, did you have to particularly, like, go for their old sound? Or did they, did they were they just saying, like, dude, just do what you do? Um, well, they, they basically, it was cool because I think they were trying to get a little bit more back to the roots of the band and... Mm-hmm. and there are some songs on the latest record that do sound a little bit more like, you know, the productions are less big, you know, like the production on Drops of Jupiter was quite large. And, yeah. and even, um, you know, an- there was a number of songs that they had. That, the productions were pretty big productions, so to speak. The mm-hmm. idea of this record was to sound a little more true to their roots, I guess, which is like the, I guess if you had to go back to like the meet Virginia kind of days and stuff like that, where, yeah. um, where it is about the songs and it is about, they're playing, and it is about Patrick's lyrics and voice that there really is the thread that kind of holds all of it together. And you're totally right. The, whether the productions are big or small, it still sounds like Train because um, the musicality and the, the for me those those melodies and the lyrics are just awesome. They don't yeah. they don't sound. It's just it's not commercial to me. It's not contrived. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, very it's one of those things that's like. The indie band that got huge, but still loves to play for birthday parties. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, they just they they'd have no pride issues just coming and being like, you know, hey guys, we're gonna go play a show locally in our hometown, and and they're just playing their music, and it's because they love it, and you can tell they love it. That's the that's the part I always liked about Train is that you never for once for a second doubt that they mean it. oh yeah and like and like the guy has the ability to make you like fall in love with a girl you've never met like i'm <laughs> yeah. Virginia, like she's only drinking coffee at midnight when the timing's not right and she, her body's unusual you're like i dig this chick i don't even know her <laughs> yeah i mean that's yeah. what music's about you're like wow the, the ability to be able to do that is pretty awesome so yeah if they weren't commercially successful you know i i'm sure they wouldn't be considered then commercial music but yeah Man, 
Yeah, it's off to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When you're when you're trying to work with all these guitar sounds on an album, obviously one of the things is that you have to give each song its own signature, and you want each song to sound unique, yet still sound like it fits on the album. And I noticed that there were some cool, you know, different guitar sounds and balances, you know, where you'd have like a clean guitar and a distorted guitar, or then you'd have like two big distorted guitars on like Parachute. Did you, what types of things did you do to create the personality of the guitar balances because this album to me is really guitar driven yeah it is it is well we did choose a lot of the tones and the levels carefully with songs that are a little more anthemic like the one you mentioned like parachute mm -hmm. i consider that more of a, like an anthemic chorus yeah um you need that you need something to to hold sustain so you're going to need more distortion more overdrive and so like we call them like the schlang guitars you know anytime you have chicka schlang yeah, yeah. And it holds out. You need those for like those anthemic tracks where you're holding chords over the bar. When it comes to uh, things like like in Hey Soul Sister, where like the bridge hits or something, you need the cleaner tone. You didn't want to overpower the ukulele. Basically, the ukulele is what drove the whole thing. The upbeat, you know, yeah. makes your head go up and down. Yeah. So it's that real do do ta do do ta do do ta makes your head go up and down. You're like, wow, this is cool. It's got a kind of an islandy vibe but a yeah. very intimate vibe you don't want to overpower that so those those guitars are cleaner in um when those electrics hit i think it's in a bridge i'd have to go back but <laughs> and then of course the drum you know anyway the guitar work is definitely cleaner in that as to not overpower the track because that's that was to come off as an intimate song some of the other rock and stuff like i guess save me san francisco which is Actually, they just they were the most hot, at, hot AC last week. I guess they're going for that as a fourth single. I'm so excited. Yeah. A record can actually go for four singles these days. But um, those are more the down-home, dirty, let's rock this, including the drum sounds are trashy. They've yeah. got, we put distortion on the drums and slap. I think I even put slap all over the drums and the guitars. Yeah, so, so yeah, about that, like, what, what sort of things do you do to get that grit? I mean, do you have, like, plugins that you really prefer? Do you like to run them through amps? or? We do, we do. And and um, for as much outboard gear as we have, I will say, and, and anyone probably listening who's doing a lot of computer recording can keep this in mind, we're actually using less and less outboard and more and more plugins. And the reason is the plugins sound phenomenal. They sound yeah. phenomenal. They sound some of them sound better. I've got the real LA two A here. I got real eleven seventy sixes. I got you know, I got four eighty L and all that. And we're starting to A B stuff and really, I mean, really A B and go. Okay, <laughs> is it? <laughs> is it worth? Yeah. Yeah. Is it worth? Ha I mean, I don't hear a difference at all anymore on a lot of this stuff. The the distortion's gotten so good. So yeah, so for something like that, I, I can pretty much I'd have to go back and look, but I bet you a lot of it is some plug-in distortion, and I use all sorts of different kinds of things. I I have a Sans amp, you know, I have mm -hmm. the Sans amp stuff, even in uh, software form. Yeah. Even uh, McDSP, I think it is, makes a Futz box, which I think is awesome for distortion. Yeah. Um, so when people open up their a Logic. In, if for people are using Logic, I love the distortion in Logic. The amp simulators in Logic are amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we did sidechain some like distortion bus on uh, Save Me San Francisco to get that like on the yeah. Song. Yeah, and um, and it almost reminds me of the uh, when the drums come in on Breakfast in Bed. Yeah. You know that that just gross. Like what was that? You oh, know, yeah. I'll, it's just it's it's almost like muted like. 
you know, soft, like almost like Wilco drums, you know what I mean? It, the whole the whole song, and all of a sudden it's just like, and it yeah. just hits you in the face. That, um, that took a while to mix that song, and it's funny, because I get into that, even though, you know, while you're mixing that song, you're not thinking it's a single, you know, because you're yeah. like, okay, this is not, this is purely for the record buying enjoyment and and um yeah that took a while to get that differential where that's that really intimate kind of drum kit very like you said like you pointed out it's very kind of dry kick and snare yeah. that sounds uh and then that and then somewhere midway you're like oh my god what just happened? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> save me san francisco the song is one of the more big productions on the album uh, yeah, has, yeah. has like you know the big B three and you got the the choir sounding vocals and all that. Yeah. How do you, how do, you do you have a solution when you, when you you know look at that? It's pretty overwhelming or whatever, and you're like, okay, got all this. Do you have a way? Like how how would you describe getting all the instruments to fit and and mix? Like what's the process of uh, of getting things to really fit with each other? Be it you know cutting out parts here and cutting out parts there, or EQing and compressing. Yeah, well, you do have to make space on a song like that. You definitely have to make space. And after I've kind of broken it down to say, okay, what's making the song tick in a in a song like that where you're gonna feature, and I'm gonna say it like those drums are kind of featured because you're like, well, they're gonna have a timbre, they're gonna have distortion, they're gonna take up quite a bit of room, like yeah. just because that's the way they're gonna be. Yeah. Uh, once you've allocated, I guess is the way I, I should use allocated that acoustic space to the drums and the guitars then the other stuff the b3 and the choir all that has to fit in and you end up um making it sounds funny but you end up making certain things smaller with eq like the choir and the b3 that normally would take up a lot of space yeah um but you have to in order to make to keep the drums sounding big um and the guitars that nice you know they got those really nice guitars you have to make space and that's part of something that I'm sure most people that are mixing, whether that be in the box or or not, it really doesn't change that that philosophy that you yeah. can't have everything full frequency spectrum all the time. So yeah. you have to make them go together. And the only way to get make them go together is you prioritize. In a song like Save Me San Francisco, I prioritized the guitars and the drums because I knew those drums were going to be kind of signature to that track yeah and the rest follows through by filter you know you end up filtering a lot of the low mid out of the choir so you can get it in the track loud enough without sounding muffly yeah that kind of thing same with the b3 um so yeah it definitely prioritize are you uh are you big on high pass filters and low pass and things like that to to get things really focused to their mid-range i am now i used to not there's something funny about mixing digitally too and some some of the stuff we do here we do a lot of hybrid mixing where some mm-hmm. of it's on the desk some of it's uh in the box and when track counts of course get to 150 160 you have to i have a 72 channel desk a bunch is taken up with like 480l and stuff like that so yeah. you gotta make you have to make some decisions and some things internally and i found that i have to use a lot more of the, like uh, high pass filters and things like that with the summing that's going on in the computer because yeah. it just makes things more clear and i don't i don't quite you know know what it is but it definitely makes things more clear yeah, back to back to I, I'm really intrigued by the whole distorted drums and all that and distorted room mics or whatever. Um, what what sparks those ideas? You know, especially even like the uh, like at the beginning of uh, I Got You. There's that sort of like filtered radio sound of you know the vocals and and all that. What what kind of gets those ideas going to to just say hey let's throw distortion on it. Um, let's let's distort the drums. Is there like a is it part of looking for a sound or is it part of 
looking for a vibe or what what would you call that yeah it's probably the vibe sometimes sometimes you can use things like that and that was probably a production call too by the way by the producers to say hey you know they may have mocked something up kind of like that and then they're saying hey do your version of it that kind of thing but i rem- i do know that like when people are doing that they're definitely making contour out yeah. of uh out of a song where you can step things up Sometimes if you're like, wow, I didn't even, sometimes you don't even know things are distorted and smaller until, until you hear the next section. You're like, oh, wow, they must have thrown something on the front of that because I didn't even notice that uh, it grew. And, um, and some of that is, is literally for, for contour and for, you know, the attitude of that section of the song, so to speak. And I do know that's how it was with the train. Yeah. So you're, uh, I might've already asked this one, but do you automate a whole lot in, in the box or, or? on the on the console i do i do automate a lot um both and in the box we automate a lot and i do automate parameters of things too i'll find myself automating you know eqs all the time but Mm -hmm. um we also we automate some crazy stuff too we'll automate the thresholds and stuff of compressors just because and that's again a sad thing but you just because you can doesn't mean you should but (laughs) but Okay. There are times when I've had a wonderful LA two A on something. And you're like, "Wow, it's it's in a sweet spot in the choruses," but I just don't. It's not working for the verses, and we used to have to split it out on the console, go get yeah. you know an eleven seventy six or another LA two A, figure something else out for the verses. And of course, with plugins, you can be like, "No, no, no, it's in a sweet spot for the choruses. Let's just automate more input for the verses, and that's how we get the distortion." And those things are invaluable. I I find them yeah, invaluable yeah. now for mixing. I and again, I don't recommend you know doing more work than you have to, but in those cases, man, it's. That's what makes the. Computer. Well, it's like if you were doing it in hardware, you could just you could just turn up the fader and send more level to it. Yeah. But but you, you know, so it's like it's not one of those things where it's like oh people don't do that in the analog world. It's like people do. It's just they not. Do. It's in a different way. I mean, plugins like you said are getting so good they actually even distort the same way. <laughs> they, they distort the same way, and in some ways they kind of if these companies are really good and some of them are really good they can find the best kind of distort like you can find there's a point i've had compressors that sound good when i've bought like them and for the first three years they sound good for the next three years they sound amazing and then (laughs) three years after that they're starting to not sound so good (laughs) and if man if these companies are getting the ones that are in their sweet spot stages uh, you then you can have the best distortion and the best timbre on every track locked in locked exactly and you're not going to say oh ever since we replaced that cap because our you know yeah our thing was going you know it's never been the same you never have that so yeah that's and that's something that's really nice is that people can experience the you know kind of like the golden age of hardware you know like there because a lot of the wave stuff and uad stuff and, and all that is is modeling the best ones they can find it's true and so yeah. it's like well, you get you get to actually experience what a good one sounds like. And so true. Do you have specific like go to plugins that that you like to use, like from from uh, like a package or a bundle? You could say. I've never really endorsed anybody or anything, but I will say that Waves. I mean, they make phenomenal stuff. We have. I've. I mean, I've been a fan of the Oxford EQ for yeah. years, yeah. Um, just because it was one of the more musical sounding EQs way back then. We have. God, we have the Massenberg stuff. We have just about, we have to kind of, and at least what I do, 
what happens is I open these sessions now that these people send me to mix, and mm -hmm. they they end up having every plugin on the planet sometimes. So already on it, yeah. So we have to be able to manage those sessions. So I probably own, even though I'm not, you know, even though I have the console too, I've, you know, it's like I probably own, you know. Just about everything that's out yeah. there. So, um, but yeah, they're phenomenal. They're fun, and I've got a, I've got the real APIs. I got five fifty A's here. I've also got, mm -hmm. you know, the plugin versions. And um, man, if I there's, I've always got the real APIs on the toms and stuff. And there's been a couple times where some stuff's gone bad, where the high end was kind of getting shy on one of them. So I took it out. We replaced it, put it back in, and then the next one. And we ended up strapping a few of the plugins on instead for. Yeah. for some recalls and i can't hear the difference i cannot hear the yeah, difference and it's one of those things too where it's like you know you're not gonna tell one of the videos i remember watching was a uh as an ab between you know like a 1073 and then the 1073 eq plugin uh -huh. and 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 sort of one of the things that they were saying was okay you know the originals were so different from each other <laughs> Because because of the sweet spot that you're talking about, and especially the you know just the age of, of the whatever transformer they're using, they're using one of the newer ones, or, or they got this shipment that was you know a little bit wound a little bit hotter or whatever. Um, it's like they were so different from each other. If you were to throw them in a mix of of ten tracks all with 1073, and one of them had a plug-in, you would never know. You're so, you're so right. I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm a big fan of drum sounds. I'm a big fan of getting drum sounds. Do you have like certain methods that you like to do to like get really in your face snare or or, or in your face kick? Um. Well, I do. I do gate the stuff pretty pretty severely because of the amount of EQ and compression for mm -hmm. the kick and the snare. If if you just left it open without a gate, you'd you'd kind of hear how awful the the rest of the, the stuff coming through. <laughs> yeah, all the bleed and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, it makes the mix sound. So, And often, when some stuff's bleeding, like when the hi-hat is opening, um, like with the snare track, sometimes it's an awesome sound, by the way. Like, you know, you hear the accent of the hi-hat on the snare drum hits. Mm -hmm. I kind of dig that, and I've kind of featured that in a number of mixes because, you know, there are producers that put tambourines on the backs of snares and stuff because that's, they want that splash along with it. Yeah. Um, sometimes we get it in here just by the gate opening up. But, yeah, we do have, we do do quite a bit of EQ, um, like you'd probably expect. I'd like to put a lot of body on my snares, so I'm always throwing on a lot of low end as well, which people mm -hmm. probably don't associate with a snare drum all that much but i'm throwing a ton of 100 150 hertz on all the time on a snare yeah. drum and um i really do like tube tech compressors so um and they make a plug-in version now so anyone <laughs> I, I have the the soft tube one oh what you do okay so yeah that, the cl1b is what i like you know it's it's one of the most underrated compressors i think ever and from i mean criminal the drum sound on criminal for fiona apple that was four mics and there's three TubeTech CL1Bs on each one of those tracks. You know, there's only one track that, that went through something else. And um, I think that's a cool Beatles-y drum sound. It would have been impossible without the TubeTechs. Like, without it, definitely. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, so we do a lot of that. And and uh, and um, we do smack them pretty hard. Although my ratios, a lot of people do higher ratios, mm -hmm. you know, six eight to one i've always kind of been you know depending if you're if you're compressing a ton i'll do two and a half to one or two to one if you're compressing a little bit more then i'll get up to four and five but um it's all about the attack and release for me so 
Yeah. So, so about yeah, compression. That's that's a good. That's I, to me, compression is one of the most misunderstood things. That that honestly, in my opinion, could make or break a rock song. Just because it's like it's kind of the sound of it. You know, it's it's developed as like you're expecting to hear songs to have compression on them. Sure. Um, and so it's like, what what advice could you give for for people that are trying to uh, get the most out of their compression like what are you listening for when you're compressing what do you uh what sort of setting you know like oh slow slow attack fast release and this and this when i'm doing drums or you know i'm I'm listening for the smack i'm listening for unlike on a vocal i'm listening for it to sound balanced yet smooth or you know and how do you go about selecting a compressor i know that's kind of a lot in one but yeah yeah well there's the cool thing about I mean, the, the, then the reason why you can't just buy one compressor and have it do everything, really, is because each thing that you're recording requires maybe just different timbres, and that's what's great about it. That's probably why there are so many different compressors mm-hmm. that are even available. But, yeah, you can approach things differently. If, sometimes if you want a grid out of the teeth of a vocalist, you can... It depends if it's, if it's emulating more or less tube technology and that kind of stuff you can get the grid on the input you know driving the input side stage harder especially with Fairchild I think they even make Fairchild plugins and all sorts of stuff like that um, with uh, the the amazing thing is when you said do you track with stuff do you I just came back from LA and I had a great compressor that um, I brought with me but they also had this crazy compressor at the room that we were in I think it was like a I think it was a CL1A Huh. It was something that I was like, wow, I've only seen like four of these. They're black. They're, they, you know, they're not, they're basically, uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry, an LA-1A. It was like, the, oh, 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 yeah. it actually looks like something totally different. It had, it was so screwed up too. The timings were so screwed up. The vocalist that we had, I, I put their vocal chain on a bus and we would go through three or four compressors just to AB. Mm-hmm. So they're going, so it's, I could quickly, you know, bounce through each one and see and she kept singing with a better vibe through this this black uh, LA one, I guess is what it's called. Mm. I don't want to call it an LA one A because it's not. I think it was called an LA one. Anyway, long and short of it is, it just happened to be a vibe. She was actually singing better through it. So, and sonically, I didn't think it was as cool as my custom one. But I was like, okay, I'm not going to mess with emotion. So we yeah. tracked all the vocals through that. And that's, you know, sometimes that's your choice too, is you can mess around. I'm sure if you're using plugins, you can mess around and try different things. And it just starts to to speak to you a certain way. So, and you kind of yeah. know it's right. Especially on the ones that have like fixed attack and release. That's definitely a, that's not something you got to AB. Yeah. Timing of the song and all that faster song. It's like, well, maybe you need the variable release time for a faster song or whatever. Just you can't you, you can't handle the slower release or, or what have you. Um, so switching gears over to Fiona Fiona Apple's record now, um, very different from the train the train vibe and, and all that because you mentioned the drum sounds P- specifically the one of the, my favorite parts about the whole sound of that record is just the way her voice is like in the center of your head. You know what I mean? I mean it's very upfront, very haunting, very raw. Um, Yet it doesn't sound like you know it doesn't sound like it's sticking out in a weird way or anything at all, um, and and again the vibe of it is just so is so right because her music is so like you said poetic. It's it's like how how do you go about like getting that accentuating the vibe that she 
that she puts out naturally in, in her songs. Right. Well, that one was pretty tricky only because that was back, everything on that was analog, analog recording, so you're recording to analog tape and all that. Um, to get those real intimate moments to sound like she's in your head, like you said, in your head or whispering in your ear, like smells like honey, or uh, yeah, it's like uh, slow like honey. So like it sounds like she's whispering in your head. Mm-hmm. We were getting that. I remember we, she was on a U67 microphone. I do know that. And she had an L, we had an LA-2A and I had a TubeTech CL1B. They were in series. So I was using one for distortion and one for the actual grit and tone, like you said. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you get the grit and tone? And then I was actually using the CL1B for the actual dynamic you know, being able to control the dynamics because with with analog tape, you can't print stuff too low, or else you are going to get a ton of tape hiss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and she has moments where she's pretty loud too on the record, and uh, moments in the song too where she'll in the different songs where she'll go from real intimate and in your face to much more of a you know dynamic. I also ride the the vocal mic. A lot of people don't like to do this. I do. I ride the actual input to the compressor on a fader, and yeah. that's the way I've done every vocal that I've ever recorded, and it's always worked out well. And a lot of people just put you know the microphone into the mic pre, and then they go into like their compressor. I put a fader in between, and so you can adjust abso- the amount of compression. Absolutely. So when they're singing low, you can actually gain you know six, seven, eight dB into the front of the compressor, and then when they start slamming you you can actually back off the fader and not hit the input of the tube so hard especially if it's a you know if it's a tube compressor or something like that mm-hmm. and that's how i know that's how that record's been recorded that's how all of the records i've ever done for vocals because there really is no way if you just let it sit there um you know if you're in a neve 73 maybe you can grab the mic pre-portion but you're going to hear clicks <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Five dB clicks, which I've done in a pinch where you you rewind. You know, if you're just doing something real quick, you go click the input up a notch and you go, let's do the verse, you know, and then yeah, yeah. when you do a chorus, you're not, you know, if you're not in the same take, you go knock it back down again. But that's not as good as uh, riding the fader. <laughs> yeah. So so working with um, some, some of the vocalists that you've worked with are, are to me, some of my favorites, Fiona Apple and Pat, you know, I mean, uh, and even in Gamma DeGraw and, and uh, Adam Levine. To me, those are some of my favorite vocalists, um, just just by their just raw talent. You know, aside from the sounds or any any of that. Just, I mean, I'd go see them at a bar. I'd go see them at an arena. You know, sure. um, and and they could they could hold up, hold down the crowd, no problem. How one of the hardest things for people to um, wrap their head around is letting the mix not only have space for the vocal, but letting it um, seem big at the same time. Um, how, how do you go about getting space and depth and, you know, make the vocals sit, as they say? Sure, sure. For me personally, I'm, I'm not a total fan of reverb. And none of, my, none of the projects that I work on do I really rely on gobs of reverb. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of delay because delay to me is basically timed reverb. When you get in on the track, it's really timed reverb is the way it sounds. So you can, you can make things sound like they actually have reverb on them, even though it's delay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I use. Of course, if this were 1980-something... 1986 i'm sure you know the reverbs would be far more used but what happens to me is is to keep the uh, intimate in your face sound to a vocal but still give it acoustic space around it reverb always kind of drowned it drowned it out a little bit because unless you put a pre-delay on it you know 100 milliseconds or something yeah kind of start closing in on your dry signal with delay you can set of course i have multiple delays on every vocal but 
you can set um, tighter and then uh, you know gradually greater distances from the original sound. So the greater distances give you kind of the tails. The shorter distances give you that really nice tight acoustic space. Where you're like, wow, the person's in my face, but they sound like they're almost Still like in a room, yeah, my living room exactly or something. And that's what makes the difference of something sound like recorded, which is just dry and just okay. That sounds like a microphone on a mm-hmm. you know on a vocal. That's a recorded sound, whereas one that has an acoustic space around it, which I make via delay, that's what makes it sound like wow, they're in my room singing to me, and I. I've always liked that. And that's really important these days with digital media, just because you kind of have to give things acoustic space or they can sound a little bland and dry. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my trick. And, and you'll hear, I mean, I have reverbs on my, on my recordings and stuff, especially with vocals, but it's not a ton of reverb. It's always a simple. Yeah. Even I noticed on like, uh, on marry me, um, it's one of those reverbs that you really only hear if you're listening on studio monitors or yeah. on headphones. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, if you were to listen to it on, you know, you're, you're in your car or something, it's like, oh, yeah, that vocal's pretty dry. Yeah. But then when you, when you hear it on studio monitors, you're like, oh, he's in, sounds like he's in a nice, a uh, nice big open space. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Now, do you, when you do your delays, because you even mentioned doing delays on drums. So, I mean, I'm guessing you do a lot of delays on a lot of different things. Tons, um, yeah. Are they usually timed? Are they usually all timed? Yeah, they're timed. Like like on Marry Me, there's probably five or six effects on the vocal, and you don't really notice one of them. On huh. something like that, you don't want to notice. So one is probably uh, delays that are doing harmonization for like the size, meaning like the bottom end of that vocal. Yeah. And there's probably a slap and like um, a few other little things. I do. I, I have like six PCM 42s, which I love. Yeah, I think you can get those in plug-in format now. And those delays, I think they compress on input. The big thing of those is they have an input limiter. So like the PCM 42, so, you know, under emulation on all that, they do have a different sound as you as you drive different things into them. And um, so, yeah, it's phenomenal. And, and we do have a lot of delays. We do use a ton of them. I use them, I use them on drums all the time because I'm a fan of, that sound and even in the 80s i say i love the 80s uh and big big sounds that came out in the 80s were not just reverb especially the early 80s there was a lot of delay used and even the 70s the way things made people made things sound large in the 70s was um to get it away from that real dry um isolated you know everything became iso booths in the 70s yeah that isolated sound the way they fattened things up was with delays so um, of course, you know Beatles, John Lennon. You you go down the list. It's all they gave. They gave those that size through delay. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of delays. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned on the vocal. You said uh, like a harmonizer. Um, is that like like a doubler? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like I'll do harmonization. We have like an AMS 1580s here, but you can you can emulate that with a lot of plugins these days. Um, and it's a it's a little bit of. Um, delay on each side and then you can do a little bit of pitch change on each side so Uh so you get um a harmonization effect like a a waves doubler yeah totally and is it and is it uh because you mentioned like for the low end of it for like the width of it almost is is that more do you eq it darker Uh, yes i shelled the um the top end i use like a you can call a low pass filter but basically it's still Maybe maybe nothing above 4K, 5K gets into it. My reverbs yeah. are set up the same way. I, I shell 4K, 5K off reverbs because I hate S's hanging out in reverbs and delays. Like, I hate S's. Like, I hate to hear 
yeah. I hate to hear like, like if you know, if if someone's got a reverb and you hear an S, I hate Cause that. that. Yeah, because that any, I mean, that doesn't happen in a real space, you know. No, it, it just <laughs> you have to it's be in a steel room, like or a mirrored room or something. Exactly. I think that's one of the reasons why people reverbs that they they they're like, why do these reverbs sound? You know, they don't sound real. It's like because they're way too bright or way too dark or way too thick or way, you know what I mean? And it's like each room has its own EQ essentially. And so it's like when you're singing in a room, it's like the high end of your voice is not going to excite the room like those reverbs do. It's <laughs> so know? true. And, 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 and humans are pretty smart with their hearing. You know, the way we hear in the is what, you know, our brain wants to recognize things that, you know, our brain will recognize things that are natural sounding as, as things that it's already heard before. So yeah. when they, when it hasn't heard something that it really knows what to deal with, that, that's when it says that doesn't sound natural. <laughs> like that's fake. Yeah. yeah. So with all this talk about vocals, I'm really curious, what, what is your opinion on about the whole auto tune and vocal line and stuff like that? Um, well, I love auto-tune um, because we've been able to take some takes that maybe we wouldn't have kept. You're like, oh, God, the attitude is so good and the grit is so good and it's just a little sharp, you know, whatever on this or we just yeah. never hit the note. I love auto-tune because you can keep all of it. You know, the whole the whole way it's being used now, which is like more as an effect or a sound, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of hoping doesn't last too yeah. much because yeah. it's you know but it's getting a little tired yeah it's getting a little tired and and i'm sure it'll go on for a while and but um but i love it i love it and uh the vocal line i don't use all that much but um but we have i manually tighten stuff yeah. because i just you know if there's things that aren't lining up like consonants and things we'll mm -hmm. manually tighten them because i don't like to mess with the timing of a vocalist too much but um but i think i think all those tools are great as long as it's helping helping get the correct feel across the moment it, the moment it becomes an effect i become a little less interested but yeah yeah kind of homogenizes every artist <laughs> yeah one of the things too is that um i've read interviews with some producers and one of the more positive things that they say is like sometimes you're just artists are too busy these days and you can't spend you know six months on an album right and you know you, you don't have a budget for it you don't have the time for it um so you know they might have a week to do vocals for a whole album and it's like that's the best feel we got we don't want to change the feel so right. you know the the auto-tune is a way to say okay someone like fiona apple even let's say you know fiona apple's like you said it was done all analog um it's like well if that record had been recorded today I mean, aside from the fact that she's a great singer, um, it's like, well, come on. I mean, if she sang a song and we're all in tears over here, we're not just going to be like, well, I guess we got to do it again because that yeah. one note was flat. I mean, it's just, it's just not worth it. It's not yeah. worth that sort of pride, almost, you know. It's true. It's true. And and back then with Fiona Apple, we I owned a Sonic Solution system. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically, no. I had a a 24-bit 96k Sonic Solution system back then. And it sat right next to the analog tape machines. And that record did take six months, by the way, for six <laughs> months. And we never broke it out because it was like, and there were some, there were some notes that are just wrong on Fiona's record. Like they're just so not close yeah. to the note they're supposed to be. She does a lot of those, those like slides and bends into yeah. notes. Yeah. And so, and there were many where it was so tempting because I could have done it so quickly, just busted in quickly. My, my Sonic Solution chased Simpty, the whole thing. So we could yeah. just put the note in, you know, flew, flew it back in and punched. 
and and we decided against it because we we're like you know what it's it's got to be all the way because once you open that can of worms and you find yourself doing it more and more well let's just fix yeah. this let's just, and we would fly stuff too we would fly stuff back and forth but we would do it with tape machine offsets mm-hmm. and um, I would fly entire parts of guitars and move them to places where they were, ne- they were never played and that was fine we we felt good about you know those kinds of decisions but when it came to we wanted it to sound like a real record that maybe sounded like it was recorded 30 years before it was and hopefully could be enjoyed 30 years after it was our, yeah, you know. Absolutely. So another really popular topic for listener questions is like is like the mix bus, right? And some people are like, oh, no, I can't live without my mix bus plugins. It it, it makes my whole mix what it is. Are you what, – what I mean, what's on your mix bus? Yeah, for me, I have um, a GML EQ, which I'd use to sound shape the whole – you know, the entire mix, the SSL stereo compressor, I do like, I do switch sometimes around. I have, uh, you know, an Alan smart thing and, and, um, but I do like the VCA compression. So I know there's Neve compressors out there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Um, you know, we do see these sessions come in with, you know, isotope, like, uh, was it ozone or yeah, ozone or C4 mm-hmm. and all this. And those, those are kind of good and bad because you can put a <laughs> you can put an isotope ozone on something and I'm sure it's going to sound immediately quote unquote better. But yeah. what happens is it can also mask it can also start to mask the real inherent problems if you take it off that are that's going on in t- inside the mix and unless those are actually fixed, uh, it never really does. You know, it ends up sounding small. It'll sound yeah. better, maybe louder, a little brighter, but it ends up sounding pretty small. Yeah, and um, so it can be a double-edged sword. But if you A B constantly, and you're constantly disabling and then enabling, and then disabling and enabling, I think it could be awesome because you could keep adjusting for the things that you know it's not fixing. But then yeah. you know, still keeping perspective on, on what's so going on. Really, the problem is when someone slaps a C four or something, which is going to multi-band compress their mix and start compressing the bass when it hits too hard. And if you actually took it off and so and you know soloed everything, it was like whoa, I got, I got like. 120 hertz just building up on these notes or something you you would you would deal with that in a different way you wouldn't just let some compressor knock it down for you i'm I'm really curious what what uh strategies do you have i don't know if strategy is the right word for for monitoring i mean do you listen on all different types of systems you have like some specific monitors that you know you swear by or yeah i'm i (laughs) i listen at a pretty low level like i listen probably a lot lower than we're speaking right you know on on this so yeah um i listen at a really low level but i listen on ns10s and you (laughs) you can't really listen loud on ns10s or else they get annoying yeah Um, but you can for me because i've been on them since 1990 you know basically you can't i can hear it i know how to eq a snare and a female vocal and like the important things on the ns10s i also have a pair of genelec 1031as Mm -hmm. that i constantly check they sound good the problem is they sound good all the time so they can be they can be flattering to the point where you're like, wow, that sounds great. And then you switch them back and you're like, okay, I got work to do. Yeah. But but they are nice to listen to. So if you're doing overall rides, I do those at really low level as well when I'm doing like my vocal rides and stuff. If you're listening on the Genelex, you can hear every everything that's kind of like wrong, like not a correct level you can fix pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my, my trick because especially for – the amount of hours we pull, which are still really long here, if I had to listen any louder, I think I'd I'd lose perspective after a few hours, you know. Yeah. Now, um, kind of on that note, what I'm just kind of curious, what uh, 
what amp are you using with the NS10s? I have a few different, but uh, on this particular room, I've got a Bryston 4 BST, hmm. which is a ton of power for those speakers. So there's <laughs> there's pl- <laughs> there's plenty to go. Yeah. And uh, but you know that's the way you run amps though. If they're never having to push real hard, they've got a ton of headroom. Yeah. Um, if they're never really pushing all that hard, they sound wonderful. It's when you're at the at the upper ends of their limits, trying to get the level out of the speaker that that you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so this last bit of questions that I've got are more like a rapid fire, just kind of like first thing that comes to your head sort of questions, um, and they're mainly like gear questions. Uh, what would you say is your go-to mic and compressor for acoustic guitars? It's like strummed acoustic guitars, let's say. Acoustic guitars, I love <laughs> I love the U67, mm-hmm. and um, I actually don't compress acoustic guitars to tape. That's yeah. the one thing i don't compress the tape do you what what about later what what compressor might you use later if you if you felt like it needed some more control yeah i love the cl1b by tube tech gotcha compressor and eq for vocals vocals um i love i love it it depends if it's a male or female mm-hmm. um i love the u67 there's also been some u47s that are amazing yeah. uh if, if it's female vocal i end up doing a lot of 67 that's me for for uh, compressors, I've done everything from a distressor, which has worked amazing, yeah. actually, and I I'm almost too embarrassed to admit it. But um, the distressor has been amazing. I also use uh, I have some inward connections ones that were kind of custom made for me yeah. by Steve Furlot. Um, those I think are wonderful. So I mostly use the inward connections, but in a pinch, the distressor does a great job emulating some pretty expensive compressors yeah favorite overhead mics overhead mics um gosh uh, there's uh c12as i love uh my favorites which i used on most of the records i produced which were uh (laughs) it's gonna sound awful these are expensive microphones they're um telefunken uh i'm trying to think of 251s yeah, uh, the, the thing is that number one and number three are my favorite two fifty ones at Sunset Sound, and so it's probably about nineteen thousand per mic. So yeah. I hate to say that, but to use them as overheads would be a sin. But when you're recording with good drummers that aren't raising their sticks and you know too high and all that, um, they used to always let me put them on the drum kit. Yeah, wow. Um, what about what about room mics for drums? Room mics, I love M49s. I love M49s, um, M50s if people have those. Um, I'm trying to think of what might equate to that in a slightly less expensive. Uh, of course, U67s make wonderful gr- room mics. Yeah. 47s for the center room. I use a 47 for the center room, which is low on the floor on just about every recording that I do. Yeah. Um, How far out? But- about, uh, I would say... I'm only like ten, well, ten to twelve feet from the kid. I put it pretty on a low stand, mm-hmm. and um, I love that sound. You get a lot of toms and snare beef. You get a lot of kick drum. You get that real like boom, like that real like tone. You just don't get like the put, you know, sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite compressor. Favorite compressor is probably the Tube Tech CL1B. Gotcha. <laughs> what about favorite uh, EQ? Favorite EQ. If you mean for like everything? Yeah, like if you only had one on a, you know, if if you only had one to work with for a mix, what what do you think could get the most done? Oh, uh, one that would get the most done is probably the GML. I have a GML, you know, eighty two hundred, which is a five band parametric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you know, it's not 
it's not the grittiest, you know, it's very clean sounding, but you can surgically do, you can take the honk out of a piano, you can take the honk out of a vocal or guitar, you can brighten up snares, you can do everything with it. It's not, you know, it's not going to have the vibe of like some API or some Neve stuff. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, favorite vocal delay, actually. Favorite vocal delay for me is a PCM42. Gotcha. Favorite compressor for drums? Favorite compressor for drums? I love, there's a couple things. I love the LCA2B, which is the VCA. It's totally different. It's a tube tech. It's a VCA um, compressor. I do love um, LA3As as well for the attack. Gotcha. All right, favorite weird effect to add in a song. You know, like it seems like everyone has their own favorite weird thing that they like to do. That's like their thing. You know what I mean? Do you have a favorite weird, you know, effect that's that's something you do that you add on things? Or I do have a couple. I do have a couple. I like to. In one of my PCM forty twos, you said a the the VCO is the <coughs> voltage controlled oscillator. But basically, it, you can turn it to a sine wave, so it sweeps, so the time can change. And you can put that in a pretty quick amount of time and like just something inside the Haas zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, 11 to 20 milliseconds. And basically, you can sweep like constantly. It's never at the same uh, millisecond rating. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you bring that up underneath the vocal, it gives it this, it's a harmonizer, it's a harmonizer basically. Yeah, yeah. It gives it a, it gives it this fullness and this movement underneath the vocal and it probably on every one of my mixes and you'd never hear it because you never hear it like as an effect but if i took it away you go oh what happened yeah now do you is that is that rate pretty slow yeah the rate is slow it sweeps from you know it's like uh it, it sweeps pretty slow i i couldn't quite describe i guess it it probably goes up from zero from the lowest point to the highest point in like two seconds and then back down in two seconds and back up gotcha. in two seconds. It's pretty slow. Alright, favorite mic. Favorite mic for me is a U sixty seven. Gotcha. And favorite plugin, just in like this one's a little more open ended. It can be just one you have recently that's really cool to you or just favorite plugin. Gosh, favorite plugin. Oh, well that's I'm, a hard one. <laughs> that's a tough one because they all do I'll give you my most used plugin, which is probably is it, my most used plugin is the Oxford EQ. Yeah. All right. So my last question, that last question, at least that I have, uh, what advice can you give to people to be a great engineer or be a great mixer or just you know be the best they can be? What What do you think is the number one thing that people either miss, you know, like a common thing that people miss, or um, a common thing that people I guess what's the big? What do you think is the best advice you could give someone if you could, you know, go back and do your career again and, and be like, you know, I really wish I would have, you know, like, like even something as simple as I really wish I just started listening to my mixes quieter, or you know what I mean, or or Only. putting on headphones when I'm when I'm micing up an acoustic guitar and really finding a sweet spot or whatever that might be. What, what do you think that would be? Yeah, for me, and and maybe it, and maybe it, it's something that I did follow. I guess in my career and it kind of helped me along the way where, and it's probably why my credits are kind of diverse, at least for the genres of music is I never felt like I wanted to put like my, I never felt like I had to put my stamp on it, mm-hmm. which there's a lot of people that feel like they have to do, they have to have a sound like you have to know it's them doing it, you know? Yeah. And a lot of the great mixers that I really enjoy you wouldn't, I mean, there are some that are iconic, like Clear Mountain, that there are some Clear Mountain mixes that you know that it's Clear Mountain, like Let's Dance. You're just like, oh my God, that's yeah. amazing. There's also some Clear Mountain mixes that you would not know 
that it's Bob Clare Mountain. And yeah. I always thought that that was awesome, that somebody didn't feel like they had to do their thing to it. They would sit and let the music and the artist, you know, speak to them and and want to get the best out of, you know, get the best out of it for the artist and for the music and not really for, you know, the ego, so to speak. And then somebody someday turns over the record and goes, oh, my God, like... Tom Lord Algae did this? I had no idea yeah. that was Tom Mix, you know? That, I think, says a lot. And I think if I could recommend something, and it's something that I've done, where there's a lot of records that, believe me, A&R guys have called me up to work on the records and been like, dude. And I'm like, yeah, and then we'll be working for two weeks. And I'll say, I had no idea you did this or that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea. You're just and expecting I, you to have a sound, but... Yeah, and I kind of think that's cool myself. Um, I kind of think that's cool. So um, I don't think people should have to worry about chasing, you know, uh, uh, to have a sound, I guess, if that's, you know, the the, the quote-unquote thing. It kind of just ends up coming out a little bit. But, um, but yeah, that would be my big, big piece of advice. Well, Mark certainly had some great pieces of info for us. I was really pleased to get to talk to him. I uh, can't thank him enough for taking the time out of his schedule, which I know is very his time is very valuable. You know, working with clients like Maroon Five and then making time for perhaps the lowly podcast like Recording Lounge. But um, anyway, thanks a lot, Mark, for doing that. And uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Hope you guys have taken away things from it. If you guys have any questions for me. Um, please email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I will try to answer any questions you have and look forward to new shows coming soon. Thanks.